Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. In support of the Hope Central Watts Youth Event, um, next week we have a very special guest, a senior pastor of Hope Central Watts, Calvary Chapel, uh, the senior pastor, Pastor Jose Hernandez, will be joining us and will give us a, a sermon. So he's the guest speaker next week. Some of you guys have already met him. Uh, those of you guys who haven't, uh, you guys have met their staff, Stephen Shin, the youth pastor, but this will be the first time where we uh, invite Pastor uh, Jose to come. And he will be sharing just uh, details of what his ministry entails and, and also just his heart and passion for the gospel. So uh, please... Come, and uh, let's get to know him and, um, and have a chance to be blessed and to be challenged by another man of God here. All right, if you have your Bibles, would you turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians? And today we are looking into chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17. And we are reading from verses um, 17 through 26. Seventeen. There we go. You there yet? Let's read together in one voice, shall we? But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in this first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become event, uh, evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in, you, for in your eating each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Church of Rooftop, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, we thank you for allowing us to gather in your house. God, we lift up our hands. God, we lift up our voices as we worship you, God. God, we ask for your spirit to come and fill this place, Lord. God, we recognize your working. and We recognize your influence in all of our lives. And God, we humbly uh, concede our ears, God. God, we open up our hearts so that your holy word may penetrate deeply into our hearts, God. Bringing about revelation, but not only revelation, God, bringing also about transformation in all of our lives. So God, come and do whatever it is that you please, uh, whatever it is that you desire in us and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 
about three, exactly three years ago in the March of 2017, just shortly after, about a few months after that we had received the news of my father-in-law, Esther's father, uh, being diagnosed with the last stage of cancer. So having heard the news that we were uh, praying for healing, we were hoping that we were wishing that he would be restored, that God would miraculously heal him. But when his condition eventually worsened, that we decided as family that, you know what, before it is too late, let, let's take all of our families and visit him uh, in Korea, which he was receiving treatment uh, at that time. So uh, our family, Esther, myself, Samuel, and Abigail, and Esther's older brother who resides in uh, Arizona, and, the, and his family of four, we got together and we flew over to Korea so that we can spend just a few days. And we knew that going into, the, going into Korea, we knew that this would be the last time that we would see them, that we would see my father-in-law, and we wanted to provide an avenue where the kids would see their grandpa for one last time. Um, unfortunately, uh, we had imagined uh, going to different places. We had imagined spending touring the city. We had imagined that our kids' first time in Korea, and their, uh, I, I guess the mother nation of, the pair, of us, uh, we, we were expecting to spend some time together touring, but unfortunately his condition had worsened to the point where he was not allowed to go outside the, the hospital. So... Uh, we spent a lot of time just sitting at bedside, conversing with our father-in-law so that the kids could really cherish the last moments that they had with their grandfather. And I remember right before we were coming back to the States, we, we, we stood together, we, 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 we gathered around the bedside, and I remember asking my father-in-law, I said, Dad, for one last time, and we, we knew as a dad, before we go, Dad, would you just take the time to pray for us? And at that time, this was, he still had strength. He couldn't move in and out of the bed on, on his own, but he still had the power to speak on his own. So he took the time, he laid hands, and going around, and every person, he, 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 he prayed for each and every one of us. With all that he had, he just poured out this last bit of passion and love upon his children and his grandchildren. And as we're leaving the room, they, 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 he gathered all of us and said, hey, um, and he recognized that, that that would be the last time. And he said, no matter what happens, love God, love one another, and be good to one another. Love God, love one another, and be good to one another. And those were the last kind of parting words. And, and at that time, we're like, okay, that's great. And uh, we, we received it. And, and, and three months after the trip that we had made to Korea, my father-in-law passed away and went to be with the Lord. And now we've had two opportunities that we had one other opportunity to gather. So each time we gather for his memorial, we remind ourselves of the words that he had given to us. It says, love God, love one another, and be good to one another. And I think it's only been two years, uh, but I, three years now. And I think every time we gather together, every time we remember of my father-in-law, all of us, including myself, we will remember those words forever. And I have made it my goal. When someone on his deathbed is saying, this is last wish, you tend to remember it. You tend to do your absolute best to honor the words or the commands of the person who is passing away. Here, the context that we're looking at today, Jesus, upon facing his death, Jesus 
having to spend the last moments together with his best friends. Twelve of the closest friends that he had. And Jesus is sitting them down and is spending that time to eat for one last time. He actually tells them, this is the last meal that I'm going to partake in. And it says, it leaves with them the last words away. He says, hey, I'm going to go away, but please do this even in my absence. Though that I may no longer be with you guys, no longer that you will see me around you, but as I, in my absence, remember to do this one thing. And you, by doing this, you will know that I am with you guys at all times. And I will know that I will be remembered by all of you. That's what's going on here. And Jesus, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul in this text, is talking about the Lord's Supper. Paul actually explicitly at one point quotes the words of Jesus. The last words that Jesus had given to them. The last command, the last request that Jesus pled with his disciples. In my absence, as I'm departing you guys, please take great heed to this and do this. So the Lord's Supper became a valuable tradition in the early church and from there forth. So this is what's going on here in chapter 11. So in studying today's text in chapter 11 verses 17 through 26, what would help us understand better is if we understood, if we recognized the larger context of the passage that we have just read today. And, and what we read here in, verse, uh, in chapter 11 of the Lord's Supper is actually a part of the larger context which stemmed from 11 to 2, 11 to, to all the way through chapter 14 and 40. Even in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, you guys know this is a famous chapter on what? On love, right? All of this deals with those three chapters, in essence, deals with a lot of the abuses that were going on in the early worship, early church settings. Meaning, these Christians were gathering from all over the places. They were worshiping God. They were remembering Jesus. In their practices of worship, some were abusing, some were misbehaving. There are a lot of corruption going on. So Paul is addressing to the direct problem that had been reported to Apostle Paul through the letter. As you know, as we've been talking about thus far, the church in Corinth had many other serious problems. But perhaps none of them was more scandalous, none of them were more serious than their abuse of the Lord's Supper. Very prominent portion of the early worship practices in the early church. So we ask ourselves then, what was the issue at hand? What was the problem? That's something that we want to know, right? So what was the problem? So the problem was that Paul is told that there are divisions, there are factions among the churches and among the Christians that were gathering within the church. There were divisions. And he's talking about and he's reported about the divisions that were caused by different socioeconomic classes. There are the wealthy people, there are the poor people. And each time they gathered together, the problems arose. Some came early to church services, some came late, some came prepared with food, some came with very little to contribute. You know, oftentimes we have potluck, right? 
When church has potluck, what do we do? We have a sign-up sheet and we tell everyone to bring whatever it is that they can bring. Some bring us main dishes, some bring desserts, some bring appetizers, drinks, some bring us napkins, forks, so that we can have a meal together. So the early church has something like that. There are similar arrangements where everyone was encouraged to bring something to contribute to this potluck, contribute to this meal that they were to partake in together. But people were taking that very uh, carelessly. Some brought food, some brought little, some began to eat as soon as they arrived. Some, they didn't even uh, bother to wait for other people to arrive and have service. Some ate before the worship took place. Some didn't get to eat. Sometimes there was no more food left on the table for them to partake in. So this is what was going on. And, 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 and obviously, and when, when the Christians... In the Corinthian church, began to observe this. They were kind of getting confused. They began to be conflicted because, man, they were acting no different than the people outside the church. So this is why the, the, the issue was raised. And now this is being reported now to Apostle Paul. So Paul's response to that letter, Paul's response to the problem is that Paul is responding. He's re- teaching the people in Corinth. All the Christians in the Corinthian church, Paul is now educating them, teaching them about the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Obviously, as Jesus commanded the follower, his followers, guess what? When the 12 disciples sat at the table and had that last meal with Jesus, guess what? When Jesus, was, uh, uh, Jesus, when Jesus hung on the cross, he died. Three days later, he was resurrected. 40 days after he was ascended to heaven, guess what? The disciples remember the words of Jesus and they did their best to honor the command and the words of Jesus, which is every time you guys get together, when you get a chance, do this in remembrance of me. Even though I am not here, I want you guys to remember to do exactly what I did with you, which is to share bread, break bread together and drink of this cup. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. When you do this, I will know that I will be remembered by all of you. So Paul is now directing the attention of the Corinthians, saying, now, let's talk about the Lord's Supper. He said, do you know the Lord's Supper? Do you understand the context of the Lord's Supper? So to do that, we have to remind ourselves that what Paul is saying in verses 23 on, this is a direct, um, what is it? Um, direct quote of the words that was conveyed through Jesus. Look with me here. It says, they took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Then he said, do this in remembrance of me. These are the exact words that are found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 19 through 19 and on it says and when he had taken some bread and given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me mind you this is how many years after this is about at least 23 25 years after that jesus had passed away So for all those years, at least 20 years, people have been keeping this tradition. This 
has been incorporated as one of the main pieces of their worship practices. And for whatever reasons along that line, uh, as time progressed, people were kind of forgetting why they were doing it. People, uh, some, somewhere along the line, this has been corrupted. So it's kind of part of it. It's kind of not part of the service. So Paul is now educating them. And now let's turn our attention to the day that this actually took place. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Verse 17, uh, verse 7 through 10. And this was the last meal that Jesus would have with his closest friends. Let me read for us here. Luke 22, 7 through 10. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you, carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters." Read verse 7, that, as, as that's very significant, significant for us. He said, Then came the first day of unleavened bread. Say with me, unleavened bread. Say with me, the Passover. The Passover is very significant for everyone in the Jewish community. This was easily by far the largest holiday for all of the Jews at that time. So now Jesus had gathered with the disciples during the season of the Passover or the day of the unleavened bread, now people that gathered, it was a season where people were what? Recreating the scene uh, many, many years ago, hundreds and if not thousands of years ago, a valued tradition called the Passover, which has been being kept. And Jesus gathers all of the disciples. That happens to be the day of the Last Supper. So one thing for us to remember, one thing that Jesus wanted people to remember and understand, on the day of the Lord's Supper, it was also the day of the unleavened bread, the Passover. What is the Passover? Uh, we don't have time to go into much detail, but the Passover happened as part of the Jewish, uh, part of the Israelites' exodus coming out of the nation of Egypt. You guys do remember for generations for 430 years that the nation of Israel had been enslaved by Egypt. God decided one day, you know what? You will no longer be slaves to this nation. I will make a way for you guys to be rescued out of slavery. And now I will send you into the land of promise. So God uses a, a leader named who? Moses. And he devises a plan where he goes toe-to-toe -to -toe or, or head-to-head -head, uh, uh, with Pharaoh himself, and he has a showdown. And Moses puts on a great show where he brings ten plagues upon the entire nation of Egypt. I mean, literally, God is using Moses to bring about hell, raising hell in all of Egypt. And the last plague happens to be the last, the most gruesome, most, most uh, crucial plague that he brings about the land of Egypt is that God decides one day, this day, there will come a day that all firstborn of Egypt, every firstborn of this land will be slaughtered. 
Pretty serious, isn't it? Pretty, uh, that's, that's a, I mean, that's a threat and a half, right? So God decides there's going to come a day, I'm going to judge everybody. I'm going to kill all the firstborn in Egypt. And it's, it, it, it gives a specific instruction. Now, Israel, if you do not want to lose your firstborns, for you to be safeguarded from my plague that I'm about to bring, gives very specific instruction. Grab a lamb. On the tenth day of the first month, on the tenth day of the first month, bring a lamb into your house. Not a mutton, not a grown sheep, okay? Baby sheep, lamb, innocent, without blemish, barely born. So the lamb didn't have much time to take on the taint or the sin of the... That concept, a brand new baby sheep or brand new lamb, bring it into your house and it has to be a lamb. You can't afford it, then get with those that can't afford it. So if you are too poor to uh, have a lamb in your house, basically move in with a family that could afford a lamb or pitch it together. Make sure that you're in a house with this unblemished lamb. And it has to be male, symbolizing that God was going to preserve are the firstborn. So it's like like for like. And it has to be without blemish. Make sure you adopt it into the family. It becomes a part of you. At least for four days. So on the 14th day, I want you to slaughter this lamb. Let it shed its blood. Take a hyssop branch. Uh, uh, brush over the blood. And take that blood and paint it over the doorpost. Of your house. And then on the night of which the plague was being brought to all of Egypt, God says, I will know that I'm to spare you and your household. By having the blood sprinkled over or brushed over or painted over a doorpost. And that's literally the specific instruction given to them. And after you're doing that, I want you guys to stay inside the house until the next morning. Roast the lamb. Cook the lamb. Now you slaughter. You cook the lamb. And season it. Don't make it too good. Don't get all fancy. Uh, now season the lamb. Roast the lamb with bitter herbs. And eat it with unleavened bread. What is unleavened bread, guys? How many of you guys had bread this morning? None of you guys? Anyone? Bagel? You get you have bread, right? Um, so, what was the shape, Mike? What was the shape of the bread that you had? Regular toast, square. So, the bread that they're talking about, the unleavened bread, is without any yeast, so it's flat. So, every time you bake bread, you're supposed to what? Put it, uh, add yeast, so you're allowed to rise, right, as you bake it. So, this time it says unleavened bread, meaning without any yeast, right? Cook it, so flat bread. So now you have the roasted what? Lamb. You have unleavened bread, which is flat bread, or pita bread, as some of us uh, have a better correlation with it. And it says, God says, eat it, and eat it fast and while standing. Very specific. Tuck in your shirt. I don't know why that was important. And God says, now make sure that you guys tuck in your shirt. And wear your sandals. Meaning, this is kind of weird, right? Where Jesus, is, God is actually allowing people to wear shoes inside the house. Wear your sandals, tie your belt, tuck in your shirt, 
And I want you guys to eat standing up and eat fast. Some of you fast eaters, this is actually biblical. So that's your backup argument. And this was a reminder because the next morning when the sun rose, God was preparing that you guys are now going out of Egypt. The years and years of slavery was about to come to an end. And the last meal that the nation of Israel partook in was that, the feast of the unleavened bread. And that feast became symbolic of what? The emancipation, the freedom of which Israel was about to experience for the first time. So this last meal for the Israelites, this crazy fast meal that they partake in while even standing up, that symbolized God's salvation. That symbolized freedom being brought into the nation of God. So as you can imagine, this was a huge part of the Israel's history. Uh, uh, this was a huge part of Israel's history. So for every year of the 10th of that month, people gather. They would simulate. They would act out as they're reminded, man, we belong to God. No matter what suffering we're facing, we remember that God is on our side. That God is coming to restore us. God is coming to save us. Now, that was the holiday of the Passover. Now, let's circle back. You guys understand what the Passover is? Yes? Now, fast forward. Now, back to the Last Supper. What was taking place now? Jesus is sitting down at this table... And 12 of his best friends are gathered together. If you can't get a visual image of that, think of the Last Supper, the famous painting. Jesus is chilling in the middle. He got six on each side. John, right, has famously quoted that John is, is, is the youngest of the 12. We're not, we're not playing favorites here, but he was called the beloved, meaning being the youngest, Jesus especially adored him. And uh, the Gospel of John tells us that John often laid his head on Jesus' bosom. So if you see the picture, you can see, right? So now they're gathered for the Last Supper. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus knows exactly what that day meant for all those that were gathered at the table. Looking around. There is no land. And he's telling everybody. It's the Lamb of God now. Sitting right in their midst. And Jesus is teaching them. About a big shift. That's to come. Jesus in essence comes now. And says you know this thing. You know the holiday that you guys have been celebrating. You know the big deal that you guys have been remembering over and over and over again? This value tradition, having a feast of unleavened bread, being reminded of the day of the last day in Egypt. 
Jesus is replaying that scenario, now transposing to his own context, reminding everyone now, this time, Jesus is provided. The sacrificial lamb is no other than himself. So now he's sitting, he's telling, indirectly telling me, I am that lamb of God now. I am the lamb that came to be sacrificed. I am the one who will be shed. My life will be taken away from me. And my blood will be shed on the cross. And through that blood, you will be deemed now as righteous. By having the blood over you and on you, you will know that God's judgment will forever pass over you. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying I am the Passover lamb now. Instead of roasting this lamb and with bitter herbs, instead of presenting Physically, the unleavened bread, it was, that was actually already there. And Jesus says, verses 14, let's read on. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the, op- uh, and the apostles with him, and check this out, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Let's uh, let's turn to John chapter 6. You guys remember the feeding of the 5,000? Then one of everyone's, uh, usually everyone's favorite miracle, right? He gathers, what, five loaves of bread, two fish, and he multiplies it. He ends up feeding how many people? 5,000 men, grown men, hungry men. 20,000 if you counted women, the kids, and the elderly people. Amazing miracle. And Jesus was, Jesus was using all kinds of imagery here, right? So Jesus feeds the 5,000. In verse 10, later in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Jesus then took the loaves. Check out the language here. Jesus takes the loaves, having given thanks, he breaks it and he distributes to those who are seated. Likewise, also of the fish as much as they wanted. Verse 35, this is still chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Funny, after the miracle of feeding of the 5,000, where bread were distributed, fish were distributed, Jesus now calls himself I am the bread of life. If you come to me, if you partake in me, you will never hunger again. Verse 53, several verses after what Jesus has said. It says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
Check this out, guys. This is one of Jesus' prominent miracles. Jesus was, new, Jesus was very clear on showing the people. John is very good at recording what Jesus calls himself, refers himself as the famous I am sayings, right? I'm the good shepherd. I'm the vine. You're the branches. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Here it says, I am the bread of life. Using all kinds of symbolisms here. And while sitting at the table with his beloved disciples, having supper with his disciples in place of the Passover meal, he directs everyone's attention to himself and says, Now it's me. I am the Passover lamb, and I am the bread that I'm breaking off of you, uh, off, uh, I'm breaking off of myself and giving to you, and this wine that I'm pouring into your cup, this is my flesh, this is my blood. You guys getting this? And Jesus tells them, verse 19. And when he had given, taken some bread and given thanks, he does exactly the same. The action that he did in what? In the miracle of feeding of the 5,000. He takes the bread. He gives thanks and says, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. That's what took place. You take out the greatest commandment or the great commission. Prior to that, this becomes one of Jesus' lasting command, last commands to his beloved disciples. Now I want all of you guys to take part in eating this meal together. The unleavened bread. There's wine. And as you partake in this meal, remember, this is no longer just bread. This is my body broken for you. This wine that you're drinking, this is not just wine. This is not just a beverage to help, you know, take in whatever you're eating. This is now my blood. And Jesus says, I want you guys to do this as you remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. And this is a very explicit request or command Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do it. Jesus says. Do it. Do it as you remember me. Remember. Remember. Do this. As you remember me. No, 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 no. Don't just think about me. Don't just recall what took place. Jesus said, remember me. Remember me. 
Remember me here. Each time you do this, each time you gather, each time you share this meal, know that you are remembering me. Each time you gather together in my name, each time you share this meal, know that I will be remembered by you. I will be drawn as you invite me, as you welcome me into your presence. And there I will be remembered. I will be among you. I will be there with you. Are you with me here? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And by doing so, you'll know that I am in your midst, that I am with you. You guys remember the passage that we read in John 6? It says, when you do this, take this bread. I am the bread of life. Take this bread and eat it. And when you do, or as you eat this bread, Jesus says what? I will abide in you and you abide in me, right? And now this practice was being done every time the Christians gathered together. Every time they had church services together, they incorporated the Lord's communion. They incorporated the Lord's supper, reenacted as they remembered the lasting words of Jesus Christ. As they partook in this wonderful feast, they remembered Jesus. So understand, if taking part of the communion symbolize that by doing so, Jesus was, Jesus was being in their midst. Now, people were abusing this. People were taking this very lightly. Some came for it. Some didn't come for it. Some ate right before that. They were being unruly. So Paul is now telling them, understand the Lord's Supper. What do we call the Lord's Supper? What do, what do we call this, guys? Huh? What do we call this? What is this? Huh? Communion. What does communion mean? Communion simply means common union, I think. Communion simply means that you're now being brought together. You're being one. You're being one. Communion. The very thing that symbolizes that, man, I belong to Jesus, and Jesus is in my heart, and he's forever with me. And people were abusing this sacred tradition. Now, now you know what the Lord's Supper meant for the early Christians. Do you have a better sense of why communion is now an integral part of Christian worship? Do we sometimes do this as well? Are we like the Corinthians at times? When we're supposed to gather... Each time we gather, we do so in an expectation of experiencing Jesus. In all of our gatherings, I think I was, I'm going to say this, because I, I struggled whether to, if the meaning was exclusive or not. 
if we understand the church is beyond the building, church is wherever God's people are, then I think this may be true. Meaning, each time we gather together, we are to remember Jesus. Each time you and I hang out together, each time that we spend time together, no matter where we are, we're supposed to remember and understand that Christ is in our midst. And when we understand in our gathering, Jesus is to be honored, He is to be worshipped, and He is to be remembered and acknowledged in all that we do. We remember that Christ's presence is with us. But unfortunately, sometimes, us too, much like the Corinthians, we make it about ourselves. We prioritize the wrong things. Paul is saying here, some of you guys are getting drunk. Some of you guys even turned up. Some of you guys are getting really mean. Some of you guys are stuffing yourselves, getting fat, and just eating to no avail. And some of us are going hungry. And you're neglecting the need within the church. Look at you, how selfish, how ignorant. Remember Jesus in our midst. Today, let's go back to the table where Jesus sat with his disciples that one last time. And can we, let's hear the words of Jesus. What Jesus is saying, come, gather, let's partake in this meal. Guys, this bread right here, this is my body. Take it. Broken for you. You see this? You see this wine right here? Take it. Here, take it. I'm giving it to you. I'm pouring out myself into you. Drink it. Because when you do so, you will know that I abide in you and you abide in me. Come, commune with me. Be one with me. Be intimate. With me. Fellowship with me. Commune with me. So here we are. Today is a good day. Uh, This passage happened to fall on a day of our communion. Uh, Oh, by the way, uh, some of you guys may be wondering, why is it that we take Communion every once a, just once a month. How often should communion take place within the church? Once a month? Once a year? Every week? Every day? No one? <laughs> I'm talking to myself. What do you guys think? Is it wrong to have communion every Sunday? Based on what we learned today? Is it wrong to have communion? Is it, is it okay to have communion every single day then? Yeah. Jesus said as often as you can. Right? Each time we do, we remember him. We happen to do it just once a month. Because 
for practical reasons. Many churches do it once a month. But there are as many churches who do the Lord's communion every single week. Okay? For us today, it just happens to be for us to take part in communion. So we've prepared for you this communion. No, no, the Lord has prepared for you a feast. And it's to not only remind us, it's actually to remember Him. It's actually to remember Him. We don't just think about what took place years ago. Through this Lord's communion, we remember Him. Invite Him into our midst. So today, let's take these elements. Let's pray. God, God, we had a chance to understand just the meaning behind one of the value sacraments in the Christian church. God, for some of us, have just become a routine. For some of us, God, we have lost its intended meaning and purpose, Lord. And God, through today's study, Lord, God, I pray that we are reminded that that you broke off your body. You gave up your body. Your blood was shed. Your precious blood was shed on the cross. So that we, as your beloved God, may be one forever with you, Lord. So God, we thank you that you provided a way when there was no way for us to be reconciled to God. God, we thank you that you became that eternal bread of life that satisfied our lifelong, eternal hunger, God. So God, we approach this table. God, we approach this communion with gladness and also reverence. And God, may we not make the mistake of the Christians in Corinthian church. Help us to re-examine our hearts. Help us to yearn for you. God, we muster up enough faith and courage so that we may live our lives exemplifying, emanating the light that you have shown to us. God, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Would you work in our midst? In Jesus' name.